Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 John chapter 3. That's where we are this morning, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, as you find that passage, here's our key concept for today. God wants us childlike but not childish. Childlike but not childish. 1 John chapter 3 talks about being part of God's family. And when you're born again into the family of God, this is a new experience. No matter what your human family was like, no matter what the ups and downs of your growing up years and your memories and those kinds of things, in the family of faith, God lavishes love on us. He lavishes love. He wants you to feel and know that you are loved. John says it this way in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. One of the images that I often call to mind and I often mention uh, regarding Christ's visitation to earth and His ministry among us is the image of a rescue mission, that Jesus came on a grand and glorious rescue mission for us. But there is a sense, even though that imagery is meaningful, it doesn't go far far enough. Because when we think about people who launch a rescue mission, what they want to do is they want to get the people safe. They want to bring them to safety out of some sort of dangerous situation. But in the mission of Jesus, He does not just intend to make us safe Yes, that's part of it, but He wants to bring us into a family, into a new family. He wants to make us sons and daughters of God. He recreates us in this new family. Jesus is putting together the family of faith, and we who know Him are part of that family. Let me use a a different image. What What would it be like if one evening you're driving down the road and you see a wreck in front of you, a car wreck has happened, and you are the only other person on the scene? Now, in that kind of situation, you would be duty bound to do something about it. You might not want to get involved. 
You might not want to stop, but you would be morally obligated to pull over and see if there's something you can do to help these victims of this crash. Don't ever think that that's the way God relates to your rescue. Don't ever think that God thinks of it in that way, something along the lines of, well, after all, I'm the only all-powerful being in the universe, so I guess I have to help these people out. That's not it at all. He is motivated by love. It's not a bare minimum intervention. It is conceived in love. It is carried out in love. It is accomplished at great cost because of His love for us. God wants you to understand that you are the objects of His great affection. He wants you to be part of the family. And as we enter this family of faith, the Bible actually uses two different um, descriptions of how we come into the family. The Bible says we are both adopted into the family of God and born again into the family of God. Both of the ways that you can get into a human family are used as pictures for how we get into God's family. And there's a reason for that. Because those methods, if you will, have some different components. For instance, if I go and adopt a child, there is a sense to which that child can always know I have chosen you. I have made a commitment to you on purpose. I've decided this. But no amount of my love for that child will make that adopted child biologically mine. What I mean is that child will inherit a genetic code. There will be inherited elements that come not from me, but from the biological parents. I will influence the child. I hopefully will guide the child, but I can't recreate the biology of that child. That's inherited. But when we're born into a family, we gain the inherited traits of that family. We are like other family members. There is a fundamental connection biologically between us and our parents and sisters and brothers. And God wants us to understand that there's both of these elements are part of being in the family of faith. We are chosen and we are committed to, but we also are born into the family intended to look like the family traits that God gives us. And in in that, He lavishes His love on us. We're called to be children of God. But we're not called to live our lives childishly. We're called to be childlike. What I mean by that is this. There are some childish qualities that we need to grow out of over the course of life. Maybe you can remember this. Some of you are parents, and all of us were children at one point, but there is an element of self-centeredness in a child, isn't there? Every baby is a little egomaniac. Every baby thinks they are the center of the universe, and that's true. That's the the definition of the egomaniac. I mean, think back. Can you imagine that little infant in the crib at night and the hunger cramps come over them? They don't think to themselves, boy, I'm hungry. But poor mom and dad, they've been up all day. They've worked hard, and they need their sleep. So I think I'll just rest quietly here until breakfast time. That's not exactly what happens. It's certainly not my experience. Rather, it's no thought given to the parent or the time or the situation. The baby simply says, I'm hungry, I need to eat now, and they let you know. 
That's okay as an infant, but not okay as you grow up. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 2, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. You see, that's how a child behaves as they grow up childlike, but not childish. Or how about this? Little children so often are stubborn. Some of you parents will remember, or maybe you're experiencing the terrible twos, the time when the child has the first taste of their independence, the first taste that they don't necessarily need to follow what mom and dad says, and they are mobile at this point. And so with arms crossed, a scowl on their face, they say, no! It's actually almost humorous for this little tiny human to say no in a defiant way, but they do. And that stubbornness needs to be grown out of, or a poor sense of what is really important. Little children don't understand the value of things. At one point, my older daughter, Allison, um, invited me into her room. We were just kind of talking together. She was just a little thing, and, and uh, she opened her piggy bank, pulled out that rubber stopper, and all the coins poured out over her bed, and, and she spread out what was in the piggy bank. She called all these things her monies. These are my monies. And I looked at her monies, and I saw buttons. I saw paper clips. I saw Chuck E. Cheese, uh, you know, game tokens. And I saw a couple of pennies and these kind of things. But all of them were of equal value to her. But as we grow up, we begin to understand that there are various values, and we, be under, we understand the proportion of things. These are traits that are childish, and we love our children because we know this is part of being a child, and they, we grow out of them, and we must. But we must not lay aside the childlike characteristics like honesty, optimism, open-mindedness, like a teachable spirit, trusting, like having a sense of wonder, wide-eyed wonder at the things that they see in the world, quick to laugh, quick to show affection. These things are childlike, which we must not lay aside. And our Heavenly Father wants us to grow that way as He lavishes His love on us. And in all the time, He's saying, we are to make progress in that growth. We are to be turning more and more into the Father, more and more like Him, and less and less like the world. Here's another thought that came to mind as I was thinking this through. I now have my Father's hands. When I look at the end of my arms, I see my Father's hands. And I recognize that because as a boy, when I would sit in church, my dad would, when I started to fidget, my dad would give me his hand and let me kind of play with his fingers and twirl his ring and all this kind of stuff. And, and I recognize these hands. These are my father's hands. And that's the natural course of growing up. We grow up to resemble our parents, to, to, to have those family traits emerge. As a matter of fact, do you want to see what I'm going to look like when I'm 90 years old? I'll show you a picture. Let's see. I'm the one in blue. But that's me and my dad on his 90th birthday, and I am turning into him, okay? And that's the absolute truth. But that's spiritually, that's what God wants us to be doing, to be more and more 
taking on the family traits. Let's look at verse 2 again. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. This transformation in eternity will be complete. Not that we will be gods, but we will be, uh, become more and more like Him to the closest possible likeness towards our Heavenly Father. But the point is that change should be happening now. Don't wait for that day. Get started now growing up in Jesus. Verse 3, everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just how just as he is pure. See, John arranges this letter in this portion of the letter as a call to Christian righteousness and growth. And in the first three verses of this chapter, he bases that call on what's coming in the future. We will be like him, so start changing now. In the next few verses of this, of this chapter, he bases that call to righteousness on what Jesus has already done. So let's read on. Verse 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that He appeared so that He may take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. In verses 4 to 6, he looks back and he says, we want, we want to live for him in righteousness because this is what Jesus has done for us. Here's John's logic. Sin is rebellion, lawlessness. Jesus came to end rebellion, and those who persist as rebels are not his. So grow in his grace. So both based on what is coming and what we have in Jesus, we're called to righteous living. Let's read on verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning. And here John is turning the picture towards our problem with all of this. Yes, we're born into the family, lavished, God lavishes His love on us. Yes, we are called to show the family characteristics and traits to grow in His grace, but we are still in the flesh, and we struggle against temptation. And we need to understand what John is saying in very strong language because we, we could get confused. Is he saying that every time I sin, I lose my salvation? Is he saying that when I fall to temptation, I ought to doubt whether I'm in the family of God at all? He just got through in chapter 2 convincing us that there is a security in Jesus. He seems to be threatening that security. He's teaching neither of those things. But sometimes we take the language and we turn it into something it's not meant to say. Let me tell you an experience I had which kind of solidified that in my mind. At 17... I left high school before my senior year, and I went directly to college. I went to a Bible college, and so I was a young 
you know, freshman in this, in this Bible college. And uh, as I was there, I made friends with guys who were in various churches around the community there in New Jersey. And one of those guys invited me and a few friends one evening to visit a church that he had visited in, inner, in the inner city of Newark, New Jersey. Okay, so I was a suburban kid. I didn't really get around very, very much. And I came into this setting, and I knew that, uh, that, that it was going to be different. And I knew the minute it was going to be a different worship experience the minute I sat down because there's a sign on the pew right in front of me, on the back of the pew, and it says this, attention, no dancing on the pews. I was, what? What do you mean no dancing on the pews? And sure enough, it was a pretty lively worship experience, okay? But, and the preacher preached and everything. At the end of the entire message, he gave an altar call. And here's the thing. Everyone in that church went forward. Everyone, except me and my two friends. We're like, what? Everyone went forward. And we ended up having to slip out the back because this was getting awkward. And I found out later what was going on. See, in that church they taught, if you sin, the Holy Spirit flees. And so everybody, thinking they might have done something wrong that week, everybody, every week, came forward so they could receive the Holy Spirit again. And, and, but that is not what John is teaching here. He's not saying that if there's, a, if there's any kind of fault or temptation, there is a, a real, uh, you know, an issue with your salvation. And the key to, spe- to understanding it correctly is to understand the specific phrases in verses 6 and 9. In verse 6, it says the phrase continues to sin. In verse 9, it says continues to sin and go on sinning. The form of speech that is being used there, one uh, Greek, Greek professors generally will say, means this. It means the prevailing habit and the dominant characteristic of your life as a child of God cannot be sin. Get that again. The prevailing habit and the dominant characteristic of your life is not sinful behavior if you're a child of God. You will not have that as your dominant characteristic. It will not be how you are defined. It will not be the label that you wear before the world. The label that you wear before the world, if you're a child of the King, is going to be Christian, follower of Jesus Christ, not something else. And I say that to ask, what's the label that people think about you out in the world? about your co-workers and your neighbors, do they understand that your dominant characteristic, your prevailing identification is Jesus? They should. That's the point that he's making. We ought not to be sin. In fact, it cannot be sin and sinful behavior because in verse 9, he makes that point, no one who is born of God will continue to sin, That's, will have that prevailing dominant characteristic because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning. There's something of God in us now that wasn't there before. And he's making that point very powerfully by using the word that we translate seed. Because the word in the Greek there is sperma. Now, we're not going to get this R-rated. You know what that sounds like, right? And we translate that seed. And the question is got to be, why would John use that word? Very important to understand. Because John, don't forget, is writing this letter in response to false teaching. 
And part of the false teaching that he's responding to is a group that is saying something very similar to what we hear in our world today, and it is false. It is the teaching that says, you don't have to worry about this conversion, this coming to faith, being born again. You don't have to worry about making a change in your life towards God. Why? Because all of us have the divine within us. It's already there. You don't have to ask for it. And they, in this setting, were using that word translated seed. John, you know, John could have made the point, his spirit, his presence, his nature, anyway, but he plucked that word out of their false teaching to teach correctly. And correctly, he's saying, left to ourselves, we do not have the divine within us. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, God is not within you. God is outside of you. He's above you and beyond you. And the way that He enters you is by faith through His grace. And it's an act of conversion. And as we say yes to that, the Father's love is lavished on that. And we're pulled away from lives characterized by darkness into light. So I want to read with you uh, verses 1 and verse 10 side by side as if there was nothing in between, and we'll really boil this down to the basics. It says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. For those of you who are parents, you can remember this moment. You can remember the moment when you saw your child do or say something and you thought and probably said, this kid is just like me. And the next thing you said was, oh, no. <laughs> you didn't need a birth certificate. You didn't need any proof. You saw this kid is just like me. That's exactly what God wants to see in you. And He'll never say, oh, no, after. He wants to see in your behavior that you are taking on the traits of your family, growing to be more like Him. And John here points out two of the ways. He wants to see it in righteousness and the way that we live, being more like our Father, doing what is right, and He wants to see it in love, love for one another, the very trait that brings us into the family in this rescue, the love that we have in God. God wants to see us lavishing that on one another. And when He does, He says, they're just like me. Those are the birthmarks of the, of the king's family, righteousness and love. And if you know Him, you are a child of the king. Harriet Buell wrote a hymn that's actually in our hymn book called A Child of the King. She died in 1910. I googled her this week. You know what I found out? She has a Facebook page. Go figure. But in any event, she wrote that hymn. The third verse, the third stanza of that hymn goes this way. I once was an outcast stranger on earth, a sinner by choice, an alien by birth. But I've been adopted. My name's written down. I'm an heir to a mansion, a robe, and a crown. I'm a child of the King, a child of the King with Jesus my Savior. I'm a child of the King. I hope that that's true of you. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have for us. Thank you for the family that we can be a part of, this forever family of faith. And 
Lord, enable us to grow up, to be your children, to demonstrate the traits of your family. Help us to show what it's like to be a child of the King to an onlooking world, and we'll give you glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. The team's back to lead us in a closing song. Go ahead and stand and let's sing together. Maybe you're here today and there's an issue of need for prayer in your life, a decision you're making, something that's 
just going in a, in a way of an issue that's you're facing of difficulty, or maybe what you need prayer for more than anything else is to change your label and to know forever for sure you are a child of the King. We have prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table. They will meet you, pray with you and over you. They would love to introduce you to the Savior they know. You slip forward, but first let's all pray together. Thank you, Lord, that as children of the King, you call us to be representatives of a different world, a new kingdom that's breaking out all around us, those who are the followers of Jesus. Help us to do that well. Keep us in your grace and use us for your glory, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name, and God's children said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.